Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two lovely sponsors for you. Environments for Humans promoting their CSS DevConf rents at cssdevconf.com. <laughs> it's coming up October 13th through 15th. So this fall down in New Orleans. It's going to be really fun. I'm going to be there talking about CSS. There's going to be tons of people talking about CSS there. And another amazing conference, BlendConf. I think we talked to you about it last year. This is their second year they're doing BlendConf. It's a three-day thing, and this is before that a little bit. September 5th through 7th in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was just in North Carolina for a bluegrass festival, and it was amazing. What a beautiful place. If I could live anywhere, it would be in Appalachia because it's such a beautiful place. Anyway, there's 60 speakers this year. Last year they had 50. They have 60 this year. It's multiple tracks, a big thing where everybody goes and it's fun. It's put on by Berman Painter, who's a kind of killer designer and developer himself. Anyway, we're going to tell you more about both of these two conferences later in the show. For now, let's kick things off. Podcast all about front end web design development and more. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris. Hey, everybody. You've heard these kind of shows before. This might be our third or fourth one in a row, and then after this, we're going to get back on the speaker train, but we've been doing a lot of traveling stuff. It is a rapid fire episode. Oh. Well, you got me off guard. Yeah. No guess, no All news, right. no drama, just questions. This one's by Pierre Limon. Limonye. I have a question about running SaaS in a corporate environment. I am a front-end developer for a government entity. We are not allowed to install software. And in fact, we're still using IE7 as our browser with Windows XP. Wow. An upgrade is coming soon to IE9 and Windows 7. Cool. Our technology stack is primarily SharePoint and Microsoft-based. I'm really interested in using SaaS at work, because it, but, but since it requires Ruby, there's no chance of running a Ruby server on my system. I know of applications such as Scout that allow me to run SaaS without a Ruby server, but that's software because it's an executable. I can't download it and install it. Is there any way to run a SaaS processor from a thumb drive? I sometimes run portable mm. apps such as Chrome to do browser testing. So that's pretty interesting. Um, congrats on getting the upgrade to Windows 7 soon. That's pretty cool. Isn't that funny, though, that like these big updates can roll through and it's still not the most recent one? Like, we're going to upgrade you. Ah, that's so, yeah, like, we're going to upgrade you to IE9, which probably has all the same bug stack as IE8, you know? It's just like. What is going yeah, on? I don't. Versions anyway, I don't mean to poo-poo your place of employment. That's that. But yeah, this is government interesting. And this, this, this is, there's a lot of angles to this kind of. Is one is often like I want to work with other people, but we need to agree on the way that we're going to compile SAS. And actually, we just had the CodeKit fellas on Brian and Guy, and they were saying that they might start making CodeKit work with other ways to compile SAS, like Grunt. Like somebody can use Grunt, I can use CodeKit. It's all good. That's a that's 
it's kind of been a pain point. You know, usually you just try to get everybody on your team doing it the same kind of way. That's probably the recommended way to do it. But it actually kind of sounds like from your question that you might just be working alone kind of. But still, so you don't run into that problem, but you run into the problem of I, there, I have no software that can run it. I, and, and honestly, I don't know if you can run it from a thumb drive. Does that seem like a possible thing to you, Dave? No, I don't think you can get a Ruby environment on a thumb drive. It needs an operating so, system or what? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd need, I, yeah, I think you'd need an operating system or like your computer's so secure, it's going to be like, that is a bug you are trying to install, yeah. like a virus. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I really don't think it's possible. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, most of the time it's like, Oh, this guy's on Mac. This guy's on Windows. How do we develop? But like your tech stack is really pinned down by your place of employment. And and that's, you know, kind of the thing. You know, I mean, you could spend all your effort to get like a precompiler approved. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you're doing uh, SAS, you know, and, and like you're like, we're going to do it, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then like you burn out in a blaze of glory in five years and we no one uses SAS anymore. We all use uh, Slapstick because Slapstick is the next coolest, you know, CSS framework yep. or whatever. So. Um, so yeah, I don't like, it sounds like you're just going to, you're pegged down by your work. Um, so if you want to use this stuff, uh, a, a do it in your free time or, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to convince them, uh, but I wonder if we, had, if you were to, if the, the job was of you to convince them to use it, what's the one thing that you could convince them to use? What would it, what would it be? Would it be like, can, should you maybe just try to get okayed? one of those, you know, like Windows versions of CodeKit kind of things, like pre-proc or, or whatever, would that be the way to go? Mm-hmm. Or what, is it better to, like, try to get something like VirtualBox okayed so that you could, like, you know, like whatever, run Vagrant and run, like, a whole whole little dev world in there so that then you don't need permission anymore because you're running it? I would... I would try to get something like pre-pros set up, easier. right? Like if it's if it's a corporate environment, you're probably on .NET. Probably all the developers have to use Visual Studio or something like that. Um, you might be able to find a Visual Studio sort of plugin or something that works. Um, but you know, like like you can make the argument they have software that helps them build the website or like the back end. I need software to help me build the front end. Like in an efficient, fast, speedy, there you reliable, go. it'll save you more money because I can modularize and nest yeah. and I can do things in a way more efficient environment method than. And you're asking for uh, so little. You're asking for one little app. Can I have one little app? Jeez. Yeah, I would I would shoot for the pre-process angle and just be like, hey, this is what I need. I need this, mm-hmm. you know, Um. Or my front end team, or what? You know, make it sound official. Make it sound. So. That's what I would say. Uh, I also uh, not to like change your stack on you, but um, uh, I know a lot of people like Node, even though it's and it may not fly here because it's may not maybe not as secure, but um, it has a lot of backing from Microsoft and stuff like that, and um, so. That might be an option there. I mean, maybe maybe you go Node and Stylus instead of SAS, and maybe that that helps. So, um, the dependency management in Node is pretty good. So, next question: this, Do we have the audio for this one? It's from 
Jose Camo. Here we go. Hey guys, this is Jose Camo living in Ames, Iowa. How long does it take for you to write a blog post from the first day you experience the problem or get the initial idea of what you want to write about um, to when you actually hit the publish button? Do you outline or just start writing, or do you have someone who knows the same stuff um, edit and give you feedback? And has that changed from when you first started writing to now? I'm just curious about your process, since I'm no writer, but I still want to write uh, and contribute as well. Um, Quick question, are you guys going to South by Southwest? And if so, could you share some good stuff to attend? Thanks. This is probably, that's over now, so... That was probably pre South by, but I did not go. <laughs> Sorry, Jose. We should we should have met up. But uh, here we go. Uh, let's see. So, how long does it take you to write, Chris? I'm interested because it takes me about nine months. <laughs> That's not true though, because from the in, the initial problem, it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm interested in in I don't know in your answer to this as well. But I I do kind of blog a lot, and and you I I would say that it's most often that it's within the same week. It's it's these days it's starting to be more rare that it's the same day. And in matter of fact, it's probably better that it's not the same day because then you at least have one sleep in between your idea and the publish button that kind of if you wake up and it still seems like a good idea, it probably is a good idea. So you, then you can write about it. That's not good. to mention that you, you can, I don't know, have a chance to at least do a little bit of editing out because that's a struggle point for me is that there's plenty of like typos and incomplete thoughts and stuff in my book i have said in the past or i don't know if i've said it on the show or not but i do have a little bit of a system for doing it and is that i i like i use uh things as my kind of to-do list thing and i don't spend all day in things but i do use it for uh for blog post ideas as well i you know i have lots of stuff in here but that's probably the number one thing i use it for and there's probably like I don't know, 80 article ideas in here. And I, I, I look through it regularly and I look through it. And and if that idea looks kind of dumb, I just ditch it. So there's like 80 ideas that have made the, the curation process kind of a bunch of times in a row. And it's like a full sentence usually and the full sentence. Isn't just like triangles or something that's super vague like that. It's something Mm -hmm. a little bit more fleshed out than that. Like the, the thing that like the hook I would think of the article or why I think that's worth writing uh, so that I'll remember it or, 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 you know, that's kind of my style is I'll look through this list and I'll like, I'll try to summon the spark that made me write it down to begin with. And if I can summon that spark, then it stays. And if I can't, then it's gone. And then within that, cause things lets you like write a little bit about it. There's probably some links and some more ideas and possibly even like a paragraph. Cause I think that like, as soon as you get that spark, you should try to get out like maybe what the first paragraph of that blog post would be like. And, no, and fool yourself into doing it because uh, you know that you don't have to write the whole post. But what you're trying to get out is that enthusiasm, is the thing that makes it interesting. And then once you have that, it's a lot easier to revisit and finish the article tomorrow or two days from now or a week from now or even months from now uh, because that, that spark has been, like, preserved in a jar so I don't know that there's an answer to just how long it takes. It can take any long, any amount of time, at least longer than one day, and as long as it's fairly easy to summon the spark. Hmm, that's good. I I just opened up my my 
I write everything in Byword, right? Which is just a Markdown app um, on Max. Um, and I have I currently have like forty two posts in there. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> and me too. Maybe four are published of those. <laughs> And so it's awful. I, I it's terrible. Um, but you know, I've got you know, I I think when I start writing because I do it so infrequently, everything becomes like this epic piece. I'm not saying my writing's epic, but it just it becomes like a thousand word piece. It's not just a little five hundred. Yeah. Like ideally, I feel like I'm at the five hundred word kind of mark. You know, not the thousand or whatever. So I don't know. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I've, a lot of them are half baked ideas to like, I don't know. I'm trying, I should try and find one, but it's just like, you know, I think you can just rely on JavaScript totally and not have to ever rely on, uh, you know, uh, progressive enhancement. But then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I waffle on that opinion. So I never publish it. Stuff so like that. So it'd be fun so. to like, to go through our list of embarrassing blog posts, ideas or whatever. Yeah, here's one called Mario and Responsive Images. That has not made it. Uh, I wrote, I was super delirious after my son was born, and so I wrote uh, two, two like, epic proses in iambic pentameter for my son. So those got to go. They're children's stories. Yeah. Oh, those, they should go they up. They should. But, but it's... But it's like it's like borderline, like, whatever, like, space madness, you know? Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's fun. That's great. Yeah. I have like styling a select in here. One of those things where like what, you know, and it's just going to be like the worst slog blog post to write ever, but it's like CSS can affect some of the stuff in a select drop down menu, but in what browsers and which properties are supported and what do you do if you absolutely need cross browser consistency and what can JavaScript do for you and what about accessibility? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like one of those posts that's like, that would be a good post if I had like two days to work on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my deal. It's like, yeah, if I had more time, I would do it. I wish, I wish I did. I don't know. I've, I've often thought like, I should just like quit my job for a month and blog. And then I'm like, wait, <laughs> I have to like yeah. feed my family. That's well, you'll terrible. need some kind of upside from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I could make $10 in Google AdWords. Or yeah. Something, well, so. at least it'd be a renewing $10. Yeah, there you so, go. So I should All tell right. you about BlendConf. BlendConf is coming up this September thir- 11th through 13th. So it's a, you know it, it follows a, a bit of a traditional conference model in that one of the days is workshops, and then there's two days of conference. That's Friday and Saturday. The workshops are before on Thursday. And there's just, just, you know, those are, they cost a little bit more money, but they're like deep, deep, deep learning dives. So I like the combo of that, you know, people that it supports that same kind of thing. Not that you're not going to learn anything from a talk. You certainly will, but you, I think you'll learn a lot more from like a, a deep dive workshop kind of thing and you can do both or either or whatever uh charlotte north carolina gonna be sweet i'm totally gonna be there so that's a thing uh again that's uh september 11th through 13th you can save 10 percent on a ticket by using code shop talk hugely diverse speaker lineup what here's a kind of interesting thing that you should know about is they have a no device policy and this is you know an interesting thing like you you have to talk to people there's no wi-fi and even if you bring your own somehow on a <gasps> cart you're gonna have to 
talk to people face to face. I need that personally. Uh, I often am sitting at dinner or something and poking at my phone, and then I and then I look at myself in disgust, like, God, why am I doing this? I'm at this unique opportunity to meet people, and here I am staring at my phone. And, but but if without some kind of policy, I am. I you know I'll just revert back to my old ways. So it'll be a little be like rehab for devices. So we get our vice by getting to go to talks and stuff. But uh, but for the rest of it, we're gonna have to talk to folks face to face. Berman tells us tasty tasty food four tracks UX design front end back end three days Charlotte North Carolina September 11th through 13th keynotes by Mr Montiero. I'm sure Uncle Mike will be yelling at us about how to do our jobs as designers better. Jennifer Polka is the founder for Code for America. Kimberly Bryant, the founder of Black Girl Code. Pretty mm. cool stuff. So check out BlendConf and save money with coupon code Shop Talk. All right, kaboom. Next question. Brian writes in, I've been building a bunch of Ruby web apps with rack templates like Middleman uh, and serve, get serve, get hyphen serve.com lately. Uh, these are, these tools are great because you get to take advantage of a ton of rails type functionality without having to actually use rails. Womp womp. But <laughs> uh, often I build out uh, to just a static site, which I can host anywhere. Uh, but when I want to leave it as a rack app, because I've got some interactive functionality or something, uh, I've been hosting with engine yard or Heroku. Nice that you can deploy right from GitHub. Oftentimes these are just prototypes or little helper apps that will never see a lot of traffic hosting on engine yard and Heroku can get pricey. I'm wondering if you guys might know of any alternatives. So it's mostly a cost thing for Brian. He's building some Ruby stuff with some alternative to rails stuff in there and wants to deploy them to, so they're at real URLs that you can use, not just local things. And Heroku makes that super easy because that's like what it's for. Same with Engine Yard. But like, you know, it's not free, certainly. And it's actually a little pricey to do that because it's kind of specialized, you know, Ruby friendly hosting. I don't know of any alternative. I mean, one of them is try to find a cheap server that is fairly open and gives you SSH access and try to rock your way into installing Ruby and stuff on there, right? Yeah, I mean, isn't like the thing like uh, I'm... I'm totally not up on my host right now, but like, like slice host or something like that, where you just get a slice of a server, you know, Linode, I think sort of the same thing. There's one that Marco um, Arment always talks about. And I wouldn't doubt that that is like, he likes his servers open. mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, Rack space is one. I mean, like, but then you're like literally setting it up yourself and you probably have to like do all the Git deployment stuff yourself. Uh, you know, that's kind of like any server that doesn't provide the, the convenience, you know, um, Linode I mean, is the one that he likes. Yeah, there you go. 20 that's bucks good. a month. And it's probably pretty good. So I, I, I personally like rock Heroku and, or engine yard or something like that as long as possible. It, it does jump in price. I mean, to add like a dino or a, whatever um just one little bucket uh, uh more of of power that's like i think it ends up it's in the like 30ish dollars a month or something like that but then you know like that's you know that adds up for over the year you're like whoa my side project my little dumb app i do cost me $600 a year to host you mm-hmm. know um so that's something to think about but in theory 
by the time you need to move up to another dyno or whatever, it's already making you $600 a year. That's kind of the hope, right? Is whatever you're building also provides you enough value or, or money uh, to, to afford it and not even think about it. So I, I like know. it. And I, think- that's, that's all good. I consider that part of the question finished, but I also, as the question started, Brian's question started, I was like, what is, what is the appeal? And you can just tell me that of this, like, I get, I mean, we can start with rails, but it, it's a wider question of people like see a large framework and they're like that, that's just too heavy, man. I think that's what's going on here with, with rails is Brian's like, I can, I'm going to use these other tools because rails just is too heavy or rails is too much or whatever. Like where do you feel the weight of rails such that you're like, nah, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use a multitude of smaller little things to replicate what rails does instead of that. Like, I just wonder where that, like, attitude comes from. It's like, where do you feel the weight of rails coming mm. down upon you? Well, I think these, yeah, like, middleman and serve are more like static site generators. So it's like, you like Ruby or you, but with a little bit of, like, like you know, again, I think we answered it in the last show, kind of like, it's like a static site with a little mm. bit of So that's totally different. Like a static site generator, obviously, I can see why that is different than Rails. But I think there's even like Sinatra or something is that's mm-hmm. like a more like a Rails alternative. I, I guess I, I guess that answers my question. Kind of people, you, yeah, you don't need anything that Rails gives you. If you didn't need one thing that Rails gives you, I could see not wanting to use Rails. But if you start to need, you know, a route or whatever, you're using database stuff. Like I, I wonder what the what the backlash is all about. Like just use it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, serve, serve. I'm looking at serve. It looks pretty cool. So, but yeah, I mean, if you just need a static site that can just like fire off a form or something really easily, it might be your thing. Or if you want to take it even farther, I guess you could, but that's, um, that seems crazy. So I'm not going to do that anyway. All right. Cut your ball. Do you use the soundboard broken? Or are you just getting it? No, I just, I just have it. I'm wanted not fall over on a question again. So I'm like ready. I got that <laughs> here. What? Well, listen, the people come for the questions, right? They come or they come they for do. the sound effects. Adam <laughs> Davidson writes, and my question is, what do you guys recommend for validating HTML and CSS? I feel the current W3C CSS validator flags a lot of code that is needed for the layout. I also have let's. I wonder what he's talking about there. I also have websites with a lot of errors due to browser extensions using CSS3. Is there a more friendly service, more in tune with CSS3? Also, which sites or process would you recommend for the best place for minimizing HTML, CSS, and JavaScript? Uh, Let's do the first part quick. Adam sending his CSS through the W3 CSS validator. The more common one that people think about is their HTML validator. Um, but they do have a CSS validator as well. I can tell you how many times I've ever done that, and it's pretty close to zero. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with validating your CSS, but like, what is to be gained from that? I like, I don't think it gives you bonus points. I mean, like, if you use a precompiler, I mean, it's going to tell you like immediately if you wrote really bad CSS. So 
I mean, well, I, I don't know that what that you would need to do that, right? I guess it's to catch, you know, may, well, if here's the one reason why you might want to do it is there's something wrong with the way that your website looks and you can't figure out why. You'd think your first go-to would be the dev tools because that's super useful, right? And and then if right. like for some reason you just cannot figure it out, Maybe there's something weird. Maybe there's like an unclosed close brace or something like that. It's not going to trigger in the console because it's just CSS. It'll just kind of silently fail. And a CSS validator would find that for you. So that's interesting, right? Like that might be a reason why you might validate. But it would only be a tool for figuring out a problem. It certainly wouldn't be... I demand that this CSS that I write passes this validators rules that it decided are important uh, because Mm -hmm. I want to put a badge in my footer or something, or I don't consider myself a good developer unless my CSS does it. And then, and then just because of little hints that Adam dropped during his thing, you know, I get errors because of browser extensions using CSS three, that's starting to feel like this validator for whatever reason. And maybe this is a long time ago. I'm not even sure when he sent this question in, we just kind of grab bag it from wherever. Um, that it's flagging vendor prefixes for you. Surely, the, who cares about that? You know, like you can also look at the output from a CSS validator and be like, "Don't care, don't care, don't care, don't care." Slightly useful, useful. Don't care, don't care, don't care. You know, like that's a legitimate way to use a CSS validator. You know, if it throws it because you use dash WebKit in front of something, who cares? Yeah. Um, There's also CSS lint, right? Isn't that required that we mention that? That's what I was going to say. CSS lint would be like my, if, if you want to like upgrade and modernize your tool, I I think that would be the best thing to do. Um, Like just that way it's in your code editor. Even you could put it in your code editor and, and catch mistakes before you hit save and have to go refresh and go run the validator. It's validating on the fly. So that would be, that would, there's multiple reasons you want to move all the validation into your code editor. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to see. I, that Yeah, I ran my site through there, um, through, uh, through the W3C validator, and I got like 35 warnings, right? So there are six errors. Uh, I'm using symbol set icons, and if you use optimize legibility, it says this doesn't exist, but it does exist in some browsers. <laughs> so, and then pseudo class colon colon selection unknown pseudo element. Well, that actually exists. Uh, navigate dot navigation ul text align none is not a value. Oh, that's interesting. So, did, so, is it text align needs to be normal or it has some other reset value? Or, so, that's interesting. That's an actual I, mistake, right? Yeah, yeah. Screen reader text font zero is not a font weight uh, or value. So, I was using the font zero zero yeah. hack, um, which I don't really want to do anymore. But anyway, uh, dot timeline background image left is not a color value. And I'd I'd have to like dig in to see what that's talking about, but maybe I I messed up there. So anyway, anyway, um, yeah. But then there's like forty, thirty-five different warnings, and they're all most all except for like the timeline title stuff. They're all 
WebKit prefixes. You're going to get better so. answers out of CSS Lint. Is the is the deal, Adam Davidson? I should mention that in CodePen we will validate your HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. We use different tools for that. So if you feel like dropping it into CodePen and getting the errors right next to the line of code, we show the error right next to the line. So it's kind of a slightly nicer experience, I think, for for getting errors from stuff rather than having to kind of parse and compare those things yourself. Um, uh, I guess we can leave it there. Although Adam says, which sites would you recommend for minimizing? Um, if you write in SAS, you can output already minimized. Otherwise, just use a thing that minimizes CSS. Uh, I would say there's, I would look up a grunt task to do it and use that. Um, there's options for CSS and JavaScript. I, I guess I can't recommend exactly the one you use, but I, it's one of those things where I don't like think it's so incredibly important that you pick the right css minimizer because then you're arguing over like 0.5k more efficiency and stuff yeah. and it's like ugh. although yeah. the interesting part of this is html why does nobody do that like everybody minimizes aspects and nobody know. minimizes html not nobody a closure compiler does and stuff but we just tend to not do that these days i don't know why you know it's i think it needs to be a bigger deal or like and that means everyone has to have a build step in front of their their authoring. That's maybe the problem, right? It's like we're comfortable having a build step between our CSS, but not between our HTML. Which is weird because you, you would think you would just author in like in like index.full.html and then just have it compiled index.html or whatever. Because right. there, there must right. be an advantage in it because it's like, oh, well, it gzips anyway. Yes, it does, but so does CSS and so does JavaScript. So there must be an advantage to minifying it before you gzip it. There must be. I think I think it's because HTML documents tend to be relatively smaller. Yeah, but not always. Weight. So, it, Yeah, not always. But I think you just get like the usually it's like you could save 2.9% 2, 2. or 48 bytes if you minimize this and i'm just like oh well i don't care maybe that's yeah. it i guess well here i'll let's let's, let's let's hey mad science style i'll just run my site through page speed uh, and see what the weight <laughs> of your html is and stuff minimize my biggest flag was minimize request size so Let's see. Oh, that's from my ad vendor. <laughs> All right. I love you guys, but you got to minify that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. It doesn't even, it didn't even flag. Well, you're me. at your, your HTML document is 14.8K gzipped or 36.8K that way. But your style sheet is only 6.1K zzipped. So, on your site, Dave, the C the HTML is more than twice as big as the CSS is because it's such a maybe I need to yeah minimize. there's more gains for you although there's that's not the well it is there you only have one style sheet it's style.css except for the the Google one but that's even super duper tiny also my website wow. is gray on gray Open on gray, Sans though. is so <laughs> small what people need to talk yeah that's true. Open Sans is such an awesome font for that like it's pretty good and it's friggin tiny. So, not to brag, all right? (laughs) Can I brag? Humble brag or whatever. Uh, Hanging out uh, with Brad Frost. Brad pulled my side up on my phone and goes, wow, that was fast. And it was just like, yeah, dude. Yeah, that was pretty fast. That was very fast. I was pretty stoked. It was just like. What's your worst thing? Let's look at Dave's tongue. 
Yeah, dig deep. No, uh, like it was just one of those things. Like I, it was just kind of like it, it just made me feel like, whoa, whoa! I I got one site to load fast. That feels pretty good. So it, it was kind of a cool thing when somebody notices if your site loads mm. fast. Oh, so. Of course, it's the font. It's that SS standard that looks like your. Oh, you know what? And that's the big thing I can nuke. And I don't even use jQuery on every page, so I could nuke jQuery. And I could minify my mm. SVGs probably. Yeah, jQuery is probably so. hurting you a little bit because that's kind of neck and neck with the with with the WAF. But it's still it's only thirty six k zipped. But it's still jQuery is probably the bulk of that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's 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 a fun experiment yeah. to like try to make your site super fast, and that's where you got to play is on your own website. Yeah. You know, I'm happy so. with CSS tricks these days too. It's it's bigger than yours is, but it's still pretty good, including no images. Yeah, buddy. Except for SVG, which I you know what I mean, like that counts, but like it's yeah, so, no raster yeah, page cached and stuff. Awesome. Wow, was that hey, a tangent? That was fun. Whoa, boing, we're blowing through our budget here. <laughs> uh, John all McAllister, right. you want to do that one? Yeah, let's do it. I've scrolled all over this page. Let's see where I'm at here. Oh, John McAllister, I have a question about shopping carts specifically for WordPress. Uh, I have a need for a shopping cart with the ability uh, for visitors to purchase a credit or token, which they can use to purchase goods from our site. All right, so coupon kind of tokens, right? Uh, I have researched the usual shopping cart plugins, shop with two Ps, cart 66, et cetera, and have not found this feature. Do you know of any WordPress shopping carts that have token feature that you know of? Um, Sounds like a gift certificate, right? Is it a gift certificate? Yeah, like, or is it like a, he wants to send you like, um. like, question mark token equals free thing oh that's true right because yeah. then you could change the price or whatever but the token would still be worth one thing or it just covers the entire cost of one transaction whatever that happens to be even if even if shipping is different or something like that that is slightly yeah. different than a gift yeah. certificate i guess or maybe he wants to okay so if oh he wants to like create like a currency maybe is that maybe it? Like he wants to like buy 80 tokens from my site and then you can purchase tokens. Yeah. Kind of like Farmville. Oh, right. Let's, let's, he's building or like Farmville. A, you know, like a Starbucks card or whatever where you lot you. It's money, but it's money that's only only redeemable for Starbucks. Good at one yeah. store. And of course, there's mm. good reasons to do that, because if you sell any of them, like the money has now entered your ecosystem and can't leave. So that's uh, obviously good for you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just don't know, you know, but I guess maybe we could answer the question of because we don't know, how would we, how would you find out this answer to this question, Dave? Um, I would look into, I mean, I would try to find a website that does, right? That would be my first thing. And the only thing I can think of that would do something like this would be like gambling websites, which mm. I happen to know because my brother has made a few, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or has like worked on a few, uh, it, that getting a gambling site backed by a bank is super difficult. Um, because basically you're, you're saying like we'll hold your bunny, and then you can use these credits in our gambling site to try to earn more credits, and which will cash out. Um, 
but banks kind of like they're unless you're in like a city or, or whatever with with gambling pro gambling laws like it's not like yeah you can just totally whatever accept people's money and not have a federally backed currency or whatever so i think like even the the starbucks or whatever or gift cards home depot gift cards they're probably backed or something by some kind of um currency in some somewhere you know or publicly traded company or something like that so i would probably try to to alter a gift certificate type of scenario to make this work for you certainly you can have a checkout some kind of normal checkout system and normally there's a plug-in for a checkout system that will sell you a gift card and or whatever yeah. or even like a download code you know like like uh, like i want to sell you a file for digital download here's a link to that and it somehow is validated mm-hmm. somehow that user is awarded one download somehow in the system and then like style up that you know like like be able th- th- there's somewhere in the database that knows that that user has that ready to go so like yeah. like query for it find out if you have one and then be like it looks like you have one you have one token I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, there's, there's... yeah, I mean, it has to be done, yeah. right? Like, if you go to Farmville and you buy a credit, uh, a pig token, a, you buy a pig, you buy a digital good, right? That you can give that pig to somebody or sell that pig or whatever. I mean, that's all it is, right? Is it's just a digital good. So. Right? I don't know. But then now you need an inventory system to keep track, a ledger uh, to keep track of who has what digital goods, what tokens, yeah. right? I would just be, I would write in to stuff. <laughs> I know that's what you're doing at this exact moment is writing to see if we have an answer. But uh, I would maybe go to some yep. more WordPress specific people, go to some forums or something and post the same question and see what you get there. Maybe somebody has a perfect answer for you and make sure that you save a little list of places where you asked that question so that you can make sure to go visit or make sure you check a box that says, please notify me of updates after someone else posts. Because there was just a little thread going around the CSS tricks forums of, of people that would post stuff and then never come back. And it, of course it's not, use you know it's not just the css tricks forums and in fact that thread was super long and interesting and it's actually not a very big problem comparatively on the css tricks forums as we discovered but don't do that don't be the guy who starts a thread and never comes back yeah i i just i just googled it looks like there's a code canyon plugin like plugin on code canyon for user credits it's called user credits maybe that's what you need yeah, credits. I don't know. Yeah, there's gotta be a way. Credits, space credits. Too bad we have such a sucky answer. I guess we should stop talking about it if we don't have a really good answer for it. Uh, let me do the CSS DevConf. This is a beautiful conference. It's been in Hawaii. It's been in Colorado, and now it's coming. It's a it's a moving conference. The fa- my favorite kind. I think it's just fun to like see the same people, but in some new exotic location. This one is in New Orleans, one of my favorite cities of all time. In fact, one of the few cities that I will sometimes visit just because I want to, not even because there's a conference, because it's just so fun to be there. 
Uh, but this time there is a conference, and I'm going to be at it. October 13th through 15th, the CSS Dev Conference. Go to cssdevconf.com. There's some keynote people picked out for it already. Uh, me, Rebecca Murphy, Dan Cedarholm, Estelle Wild, Jonathan Snook, Rachel Neighbors, people that I'm very much looking forward to see. I consider all of them friends of mine. It's going to be so fun. And then a ton of other people, too. And the, those people aren't decided yet because you have a say in it by going to vote there. So go vote on the talks. And it's kind of done anonymously, so just based on what people want to see, which is cool. It kind of ensures a kind of low level of bias. It's going to be pretty sweet. Uh, you can buy your tickets right from cssdevconf.com. See the hotels of the ridiculously fancy hotel where it's going to be, which I can't wait to see. Hotel Montelione or something like that. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but uh, apparently was not destroyed in any kind of hurricane overflowy situation because it's been there since 1886 in the French Quarter, which is the place to be in New Orleans. Oh, I can't wait. It looks... The, the the photos look awesome and that's always like that's i feel like the that's bar the bar is a big yeah. circle with these crazy lit up mirrors on all above it it looks like you're on like a you know not a merry-go-round or is that what they call it? what are the things with like the horses that go up and down and stuff yeah okay but like a big fancy circus one carousel yeah. carousel but not like this sucky brad frost hates carousels <laughs> That would be a good meme, right? We put Brad Frost. Why do you hate this on this beautiful looking carousel? Yeah. This kids, they love carousels and you hate them. You hate kids by extension. Uh, (laughs) I'll be there. I'll see you there, everybody. Let's do another one. Next question. Tom Hoodmont writes in, is it worth offering i6 supports for responsive design projectors that just not worth the effort? That's old. i6, you know, I know that this is always like a hot topic or whatever, but you know what? I feel like it's starting to not be a hot topic anymore because, uh, I don't know, it's just been a while since I've heard a heated i6 discussion. i6 is gone. Mm. i6 is dead. Um Yeah, i8, sure. I mean, it's, it supposedly is end of life at the moment. Yep, and that's four right. versions ago, remember? And IE6 was a thing with the XP and XP is dead, so that's becoming even more nail in the coffin. I know, I know it's it's not, you know, whatever. I know there's nuance to this situation, so I'm not just throwing around, but yeah, for a responsive design project, okay, so there's there's different ways that you can support this too. I mean, there's there's ways that you can kind of go mobile first and kind of serve lower, you know, older browsers, kind of just a, a, a chill, you know, maybe like a tube of content style. You know, it just it depends, it depends, it yeah, depends, yeah. it depends. It doesn't mean that you have to just let it be a disaster down there. That's not what we're saying. But it also doesn't mean that you have to give it a a grade experience either. I don't know. I'm almost bored of this conversation. Boring. No, uh, you know what I heard about recently is a Grunt plugin called Grunt Strip MQ. Mm. Grunt Strip MQ. And basically, you write mobile-first CSS, and you generate a less-than-IE9 style sheet that is basically a... It takes all of your... It doesn't support them anyway. Why serve them those styles? Yeah, so it just it just basically flattens all of your 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 CSS declarations. I think maybe in order or something like that. But it'll just like basically smush down and strip out your media queries. And bada bing, bada boom, you have an IE8 style sheet. 
So there you go. Yeah. Like, although I don't know if that it, automatically makes it good to go. I mean, there might still be crazy stuff in your not media queries. It's yeah. a nice, it's a nice effort though. I mean, it does something. Yeah. But it's like, again, it's like, how much do you care? Right. You know, cause like, it's just going to ignore them anyway. Your so you're just trying to help it out with, by serving less content period. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, interesting. I do that with SAS. I have, like, a global that either sets a variable to should the, should the output of this file have media queries in it or not. And anytime I call a media mm-hmm. query, I do it with a mix-in, and thus I'm able to easily produce media queries and not media query versions of that file. So you can do the same kind of thing with SAS, just SAS. Uh, which is, but I do it for, you know, pages of code pen for example, that just aren't built to that that have a mobile version, a specific mobile version of them, so that the desktop it, it's not a responsive page. It just happens to not have any responsive design on it. You know what I mean? So like, why give it the media queries at all? Because if a smaller, you know, if a mobile-ish device visits that page, it's going to get the mobile version anyway. Uh, yeah. So Tom, you know, whatever. Do do whatever you gotta do. There's no global answer yeah. for this. You know, look at your own site stats. Figure out if you need to support it. If you do, figure out what level of support it needs to have to be acceptable. And you know, and then just work your magic. Require JS works. Require JS works kind of well. Um, you could just throw that, set it, and forget it. So um, yeah, there you go. Boom. Let's end it up. Let's end it with one more. Oh, end it up. Let's wrap it up. No, let's wrap. We got to wrap it up. These guys got to get on with their day. They got, they're pulling into work. They've been in the, in the the driveway of their work, you know, for, for hours now creeping in the parking garage. So thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. This has been another rapid fire episode. Big nuts. And I don't know why I have to like do all three of them. I really appreciate it. And uh, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. We'll be back very soon with a real life IRL episode of the shop talk show. Looking very forward to it. So anyway, it's good to have you guys. It really is. Be good, everybody. And uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter and uh, yeah. Tweet us your favorite Pokemons. Thank you. Bye. ShopDuckShow.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah.